one of the latest polls I read, and you need to know before I give you the results of it, there are a myriad, you've realized you can find polls to support anything you want, but uh, the latest one I read said that 9 out of 10 Americans pray, which I thought was fascinating because I don't think 9 out of 10 Americans believe in God, Uh, but you know, when you're an agnostic or you're an atheist and everything's going south, what have you got to lose, I suppose, that's probably the deal. Now, if, if you want to learn how to pray, though, a lot of confusion around prayer, and when, you know, I want to learn something, where I go is Amazon, you know, because you can get anything on Amazon, any how-to in the world. And so I was looking at Amazon for titles on prayer, books on prayer. I stopped after reviewing over 500 titles, and there were still pages and pages and pages and pages. But if you're interested in uh, some information on, on counsel on prayer, here's some books you can pick up at Amazon. Six prayers got answers. Seven prayers that will change your life. Nine steps to creating prayers that get results. Twelve keys to prayer. The twelve prayers of Christmas. Twenty-one most effective prayers. Forty days of prayer. Fifty-two weeks of prayer. Fifty-two ways to pray. One hundred and one most powerful prayers. One hundred and five days of prayer. One hundred and twenty-four prayers for caregivers. Three hundred and sixty-five days of prayer. Book of one thousand prayers. You can also purchase, if you desire, got enough money, contemplative prayer, the prayer shawl, the prayer shield, praying with beads, listening prayer, techniques for prayer therapy, pagan prayer beads, Tibetan prayer flag, the prayer gift box, and imaginative prayer. If you want to go the denominational route, that's cool. The Catholic book of prayer, the Lutheran book of prayer, the New Zealand prayer book, Christian prayer for dummies, that's a good one, uh, <laughs> prayers of the faithful, prayers of the damned, Worry Wart's Book of Prayer. We probably could all use that one, right? Celtic Daily Prayers. A Jewish Woman's Prayer Book. Sister Wendy on Prayer. African Prayers. The Papa Prayer. Jesus Prayer. The Prayer of Jabez. We also have the Book of Common Prayer. The Book of Uncommon Prayer. The Power of Prayer. The Folly of Prayer. Emergency Prayers. The All Night Prayer Vigil. One Minute Prayers. Shorter Christian prayers. Prayers to rout demons. Prayers that avail much. Prayers that change everything. Prayers that break curses. Prayers that heal. And my favorite, answered prayer, guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Then get your money back, right? If that one doesn't work, work for you. Lots of ideas on prayer. In, in Luke chapter 11, it says that Jesus was praying. A certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now, if you could ask Jesus to teach you anything, what might you ask? Hey, Lord, remember that time you were walking on the water? That was kind of cool. Hey, will you teach me how to do that? That'd be, that'd be all right. Or remember that time, Lord, you raised a dead person, several dead people. Boy, that would be cool if I could do that. Would you just teach me? I mean, what the, how did you do that? Show me. Or remember, you remember the wind and the waves and the, and the rain and, and you stood in peace, be still, and it all stopped. I would like to learn that. Would you teach me how you did that one? That would be kind of cool. Or I would, I would say, Lord, can you teach me how to preach? Because, see, like when I preach, people fall asleep and they check their email and they play dots with their bulletin. But when you preach, Jesus, now people listened and lives were changed and great things happened. Would you just teach me to preach? That would be cool. But his disciples, I think this is telling because this is the only time we see this. His disciples kind of looked at Jesus' prayer life and they looked at theirs and uh, they looked at Jesus. And it seemed like. Maybe he was really 
actually connecting with heaven. He's really, he's really connecting with heaven. It's not that it didn't work that way. For, and maybe they realized that all of his ability and power and confidence and sensitivity and wisdom and boldness came from here. So they said, Jesus, would you teach me to do that? Would you teach me to pray? You know, there was a uh, doctoral student at Princeton, the story goes, and if your doctoral work, the last thing you have to do is your dissertation, which is basically writing a book, and it has to be a book that no one has ever written before. You have to have an original research topic. And the doctoral student at Princeton uh, said, you know, what remains of an original dissertation topic? Is there, is there, everything's been covered. What else can I do? Alfred, Albert Einstein replied to him, do a study on prayer. Somebody must figure out prayer. A lot of people question prayer, wonder about prayer. How in the world does this, does this work? What is this? Prayer, let's just define it on the front end. It's the place where the visible meets the invisible. It's where the free will of man meets the sovereignty of God. It's where the creature meets the creator. It's where the uh, mortal meets the e- eternal. It's where you connect with heaven. Now, if, if that's true, if it's really, really true, wouldn't you say, I want to learn that. I, I want to learn that. Well, let me ask you, how is your prayer life? Now, let me set some ground rules on this as we start this whole series on prayer. First ground rule, no guilt, okay? So any guilt that comes to your mind, no guilt, no guilt. Guilt is a a quasi-religious system manipulative tool. We're not going on that road. No guilt, no guilt. Okay, still though, the question has to be asked and it has to be answered. Where is your prayer life? Scale from one to ten. Ten is God himself saying, you know what, he just can't be better. That, that person is just nailing it, man. I, it's incredible. One is, I'm going to wait till I get to heaven. Yeah, and zero is like, you know, I don't have one, I don't care to have one. Where are you at on the scale? Because most Christians pray, but the vast majority are not satisfied with their prayer life. Where, where are, are you? You know, when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray, we probably wouldn't be offended if Jesus would have said, <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want to learn what? Oh, uh, here's the, the bottom line is, see, I'm Jesus, so I can do this. But you are, you know, you're you. <laughs> so don't worry, you know, when you get to heaven, it will work okay. You know, until then, just kind of hang in there and it'll be all right. We would think, oh yeah, okay, that's, that makes sense. But Jesus looked at them and said, okay, okay, I'll teach you to pray. That makes Jesus' instruction on prayer probably one of the most significant things we can probably give ourselves to. Now, here's the goal in this whole series. That when we're done with this series, the goal is not that we are that you are praying longer and praying more and praying wearing out your knees. And all. Maybe maybe that will be part of it. But the goal is wherever you are on the scale, wherever that is, you've bumped it up a little bit. And that may include more time. It may include less time. I don't know. But I do know that I believe it will include understanding prayer through Jesus' eyes. And it will incorporate a greater intimacy with him. 
And prayer will become not just a thing we do, it will be part of our DNA. That's the goal. That's the goal of this series. And so I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Because the Lord's Prayer... It's found in two places. It's in Luke 11. But Matthew 6, Jesus, when he gives it, elaborates just a little bit more. And so that's why we want to go there. So if you turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, if you don't have it, uh, your Bible with you, I think there's one in the pew in front of you. Let me give you some background as you're turning. Because every verse, every text has a context. And it's real important that we understand the context to properly interpret the verse. Then chapter 6 of Matthew, right smack in the middle of, of the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon that Jesus ever, most famous sermon in the world. This one's right in the middle. Now in this entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has got, it's not haphazard. Sometimes you look at it, it looks like he's just kind of a smorgasbord taking shot. He's got a goal, a purpose, a big idea, and this is it in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is trying to differentiate between false faith and real faith. And you need to know this. The guys he's talking to are not cultist people. They're not, they're not dealing with some fringe philosophy. These, these are people who've got the right doctrinal statement. They have got the, the, the right faith. They've got the right God. They go to church. These are, they, they do it right. But the problem is, and you know if you've, if you've been in church for any amount of time, it's easy to turn those things, the right doctrinal statement, the right, into just nothing more than a set of externals. And that's what these folk have done. And so Jesus is differentiating. Let me give you chapter 5. In verse 21, he says, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, it's differentiating. That was, which is not a bad thing. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Don't murder. That's right. But I tell you, you've turned it into just externals. But there's another way. In verse 27, he says, You've heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks lustfully has already committed uh, adultery. It's been said, Anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, because teaching on divorce. Again, it's been said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, he says, Keep everything, not just your oaths. Be a person of integrity. You've heard that it was said, Eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, you know what this is about. You've heard when they say Jesus spoke as one having authority. And we're not sure exactly what that means. Maybe it's like, oh, just a big, deep God kind of voice. It's one authority. This is what it means. Because all the other rabbis, when they would teach... They would quote other rabbis, because you know, their opinion wasn't worth much, and so they quoted other rabbis to prove their point. But Jesus doesn't quote anybody but himself. That's teaching with authority. We got authority. And so he comes to chapter six. And he's going to continue on this theme. Can continue on this idea. And what you gotta ask yourself, because these guys had the right doctrinal statement, believe God, everything else, and they were still missing it. I wonder if there's possible if we have anybody here who has the close. They've got all the right stuff, but they're just missing it. It's just externals. It's just outward things. So he goes on in chapter 6. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness, all your Christian things, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward uh, from your Father in, in heaven. And he gives, goes into talking about giving, and then he's going to talk about where we want to camp for the next several weeks on prayer. And in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, 
For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. The hypocrites, it's uh, uh, when they would have plays, this is like their only form of entertainment, and they had traveling troops that would move around. When they would have plays, if you didn't get a front row seat, you couldn't hear what they were saying on stage. And so the guys on stage, if you're in the back, you didn't know what was going on. So the guys on stage, what they would do is they would wear masks. A smiley mask, and you'd think, okay, that guy's probably feeling good right now, or a mean, evil-looking mask. Oh, he's the villain. And th- that way you would still in the back kind of know what was going on. The word hypocrite is he who wears the mask. It's an actor. It's one pretending to be something that he's not. That's what, what they're doing. And the way this worked is the, the Jewish system is you prayed at three times a day. You prayed at nine in the morning, you prayed at noon, and you prayed at three in the afternoon. And wherever you were, when the horn went off, you had to stop and pray. And so if you could time it just right perfectly, you were walking across the main intersection, busiest part of the day, and the horn goes off. You know what? <laughs> I got to stop. Everyone sees me. And you pray. And you pray. I was freshman year at, at school. Uh, I rem- this was a normal, quite unfortunately, it was a normal part of my day. Partially unfor- unfortunately. I had quiet time on a regular basis. I mean, every day, every day. An hour plus, every day. But when I got up from off my knees by my bed, I made sure that I left my prayer notebook and my Bible and stuff there on the bed. And I had the pillow still on the, you know, where I was kneeling on it. So then if anyone walked in my room, they would see it and go, oh, what's this? Oh, oh, I'm so sorry I didn't put that away. Now, I wasn't, see, we don't think hypocrisy is, we don't see this in the mirror. Because you know what? I wasn't trying to make people think that I prayed and really didn't. I really did pray. And they needed to know it. You know what I mean? I mean, they needed to understand it. And maybe it would encourage them or something. I don't know what I was, obviously I was thinking prideful evil thoughts. Uh, Make me look better. Prayer was a way for me to look good. But it's interesting. Jesus says, if you pray for other people to see, you've received your reward in full. In other words, you can pray for other people to see or you can pray for God to hear. But if you want other people to see, he's not going to hear. You don't get it both ways. It's, it's kind of like your intimate relationship with your spouse. Some things are just kept personal behind closed doors. And that's what he says. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door. And pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And this, I don't know if this is what Jesus is thinking, but this word for room, it's the same word at the temple. They had these rooms that were treasure rooms. It's where they kept all their loot, okay, where they kept all their money. It, Jesus may be thinking, when you pray, if you go into the door, room, close the door, treasure, all kinds of treasure. But if you want to pray where people see you, it's not going to be there. And so they, they, you need to know he's not, Jesus is not bashing public prayer. We know that because he prayed publicly. We know that because when he gives us the model prayer in just a second, you know the pronouns for us are plural. They're us. Not give me this day my daily bread. No, no, no. Give us this day our daily bread. And, and don't lead me into, into temptation. No, no, no. Deliver us from temptation. Right? Don't lead us into temptation. He's okay with, with public. But what he's fighting against is this idea that takes your relationship with God, what he wants to commune, and you blow God off and say, forget him. I'm just interested in having this relationship with other people. It, it's taking the vertical and just turning it into horizontal. Jesus says, no, don't go down that road. If you've been in the faith any amount of time, you know there's a temptation there. Don't go down that road. 
And then, then Jesus says, no, hypocrisy is not the only thing wrong. Now we think, well, sincerity then is what it's about. And sincerity obviously is better than hypocrisy. And sincerity in this culture is the top wrong because there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? And so the only thing that matters is if you are sincere. And so you go in your room and you close the door and you're sincere. It's all fine. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not that easy. He says, let's just say you did that. And when you, when you pray in verse 7, he says, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask. Jesus is differentiating two groups here. Follow me for just a second. Hypocrisy, the solution was go in your room and close the door. Here, uh, pagan prayer, and there's going to be a solution he's going to give us in just a minute. But the pagan mindset is I'm heard because of my many words. This is easy for us to fall into. You know how I'm heard? I'm going to get a lot of people on the prayer chain. Because a lot of people, because the more people that are praying, see, and the more longer we pray, and the more vehemently we pray, and the passion, well, see, that gets God's attention. See, we want to move his hand, but his hand is bigger. I mean, it's the hand of God. And so to move it, we've got to get a lot of people praying. And then he'll, oh, and he'll move. This is what, this is what we do. Jesus said, no, Jesus said, don't, 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 don't do that. Your father already knows what you need. Prayer is not an issue of informing God. We think we've got to inform him. See, he he doesn't know. He doesn't know some of the latest details. He doesn't know how serious this is. He doesn't know how bad I I want this. I think we get this from when we were little kids. Remember we would pester our parents? Please, oh please, daddy, please, 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 please. This is the last thing I'll ever ask. I'll never never be bad again. And I'll always get whatever. And please, 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 I have to have this. And I need this. And sometimes it would work, wouldn't it? Sometimes, fine, just go, just go. It would work. And so we think, well, this is how we deal with God. So we go to God, please, please. And we think God's up there. Oh, well, I don't know, man. Are you sure? Oh, please, 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 please. And Jesus says, no. God already knows what you need. God knows what you want. He knows what you want. He knows why you want it. And he knows what you'll do if you get it. And he knows what other people want and how that intersects with what you want. And he knows what you really need, which may not even be on your radar. And he knows what you need to get from point A to point B. Don't you don't think he's going to be there? Don't you think he, he's got that down? He's got it covered? Jesus said, don't. Prayer is not. The pagan way of prayer is prayer is a way to inform God and get stuff. Jesus said, no, no, no. Don't pray like pagans who think that they're going to be heard because of their many words. They think they're going to be heard based on their performance, what they do, how they bring this about. This is, this is really huge. Uh, there are two ways we can approach God. We can approach God with a business model. Transaction. Pagan prayer turns prayer into transactions. And a lot of us live this way. Transactions. Uh, it's, it's, it's needs and, and uh, services. It's, it's contractual. It's performance-based. You know, I've got some relationships with some people. They're nice people. But really, the relationship is performance-oriented. They're, they're vendors. And if they don't provide what needs, <laughs> I feel bad. I like them and all, but they're out here. I'm going to find somebody else who can do it better and cheaper. Because the, the relationship is performance. It, it's it's, it's uh, business. Another way, another relationship, though, is family. 
And a family, you don't have to perform to be a part of a family. Now, I'd like you to perform if you are part of the family, but whether you do or you don't, we're blood, right? We're part, part of the family. Uh, Tim Keller, great illustration. He says that uh, two ways you can live in someone's house. You can live as a boarder. You know, you fill out the lease and sign it. You're going to pay your rent by this day and you're going to do these other things. You know, shovel the snow and you do that every day if you live in Erie. Or cut the grass or, you know, you've got different things built into the lease. It's, it's, the person is, you're the boarder, they're the landlord. And if you fulfill your duty, they should fulfill theirs, right? It's, it's, it's what's expected. He says that a lot of us live our lives with God as if we are our borders. I'm going to fulfill the deal. I'm going to do what I'm, I paid my rent, God. And, and see, this is how you, you can, you can see, test this, whether or not you, you really have this border relationship with God. The, the test is unanswered prayer. If God doesn't answer, how do you respond? This is how borders respond. One of two ways. First of all, they might respond with guilt. They'll pray and they didn't get it and they'll go, well, you know, I don't blame God for not answering. I mean, I've been blowing it. I haven't really been talking to him much lately. I've been reading the Bible. I've been going to church. I've been kind of failing a little bit. And so if I was God, I wouldn't answer the prayer either. And no, I, I didn't pay my, my rent. I didn't fulfill my obligation. So why should God? Uh, have you ever thought that? You're dealing with a little bit of the, the border relationship with God. Another way is, another response is anger to unanswered prayer. And we, which makes sense, right? Because I've paid my rent. I paid a little bit more, and it came in before early, actually, and I did all the things on the contract, and I did even more. I fulfilled my responsibility. God, where are you? And there's this idea of, of being heard because there are many words. That word many can be translated anxious. Not just anxious, but anxious, angry. If, in fact, he doesn't come through, if you get angry, then you probably have a border relationship with God. It's performance-based. I'm supposed to get something because I've done. And Jesus says, pagans think they're going to be heard because of what they do. Because of how many words they said. Don't be like that, Jesus says. Instead, when you pray, you got to love this. You're supposed to say, our Father. Now, he, he's not, you notice, he didn't say, when you pray, say, our almighty, omnipotent king. Don't, don't say, you know, sovereign ruler of the universe. Don't say, oh, holy one. Now, anything wrong with those titles? No, they're all true. That's right. But what Jesus is, is differentiating here are people who have this performance relationship with God is based on what I do. And people who have a family relationship with God, it's my prayer life. It's just based on identity, not what I do, but who I am in him. That's, that's huge. Now, Jesus, of course, was uniquely the son of God. A way that you and I can't be. God the Father was literally his father. We got that. And on one sense, in one sense, all the world is children of God. Uh, he created everybody. He thought up everybody. He sustains everybody. Allah X 17, the whole world, everybody is a child of God. We got that. But there's another way in which those who know Christ are 
children of God. Look at this, Romans 8.15. What a cool, cool verse. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's a performance thing. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Abba is like, Papa. You know, it wasn't until the 10th century before we see any Jewish prayer that referred to God as Father. Because that was so anathema to them. And Jesus said, no, 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 this is who you are. Now think about adoption for a minute. This is so wild. You are not adopted based on performance, right? You're not adopted because you act a certain way. You are adopted. And then the behavior may come along. You hope it does. But either way, that person's been adopted. You're adopted based on the parent's choice, right? If you know Christ, this is a mind-blowing thought. He chose you. You're adopted by him, our Father. And this is so important because all the rest of the Lord's Prayer is going to be totally irrelevant if you don't catch this, that prayer starts with an understanding of my identity. I come not based on performance. I come based on my identity. Psalm 131. Excellent psalm. I'll give you some picture on this real quick. David is writing. He says, my heart is not proud, O Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters, things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Why does a weaned child crawl up into his mom's lap? Why do you think? Now, we know why a nursing baby wants to be in mom's lap, right? I think kid's got an agenda. He needs something. He wants something. And mom's the only one that can give it to me. We treat God this way. I need something and God's the only one who can pull it off. And so I'm going to God. But a weaned child, why does a weaned child want mom's lap, you think? Just to be with her. Maybe he's got some owies. Maybe he's got some issues. Maybe he's got some problems. Maybe he's afraid. And you know, as well as I do, there's no place on earth that a child feels safer than in his mom's lap. People mean to me. My owies might still hurt a little bit. A lot of things that I still don't know. But somehow, things are okay because I'm in mom's lap. David says, my heart's not proud, O Lord, or my eyes haughty. So sometimes I am, but right now I realize how little I am. I realize what a big stinking loser I am and how I fail and how incompetent in my limitations. I know, I know, I know. I'm not crawling in your lap because I've performed because I'm worthy. He says, I don't, I don't concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. That one, that's, things too big for me. He says, There's questions going on that I don't know the answers to. I don't know how this is going to play out. This might result really bad. I don't know what I'm supposed to do something here, and I don't know what it is. I like this. He says, but I quieted my soul. Peace comes not because he's got answers, but because he's crawling up into his parents' lap, his mom's lap. If, in fact, life does to you what life does, when it does, maybe that's a better way to say it, and all you've got is a cold, empty religion, even if it's the right one, that offers you no comfort. It is a sad place to crawl up when life is beating you up. 
It will not offer you the protection or the safety or the peace that you need. That's why Jesus says when you pray, you have to say. It's got to start not like the pagans, not performance. It's identity. My father. You know, Jesus, every single time he prayed, every single time he prayed and he addressed God, it was as father. Every single time it was father. Every time. But one. Matthew 27. This is about three in the afternoon. Jesus cried out in a loud voice. Say Aramaic. Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see the profundity of this. This is wild. The one time in Jesus' life when he did not could not say my father's when he was becoming my sin, when he was becoming <clears throat> yours. He didn't say my father, so we could. Wow. Was there disruption in the Trinity for a brief short time? Some huge mystery. But the one time he gave up saying my father, he did it so you and I could. So right now, if you're, you've got the right place, maybe. You've got the right book. You've got the, you've got the right doctrine. You might be close. And maybe you've said the Lord's Prayer out loud and repeated it, whatever. But reality is he is not your father. And you know that. And you still have that border relationship of performance with him. The coolest thing is right now, that can be over. You can say, you know what, Lord, I am done with the performance thing. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm realizing that. And I need to call you my father based on what you've done for me. John 1.12, it says that as many as received him, to them he gave that. To as many as, as did lots of cool things, no. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And you've got to like what John says in 1 John 3.1. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. It would not be great love if I had earned it. Great love that he lavished on us that we should be called children of God, explanation point. And that is what we are. He's mind blown. I can't believe this. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. Not based on my performance, but based purely on his love. So let me ask you in your relationship with God right now. If you don't know him as Father, I'm telling you, what will happen, you might say prayers off and on throughout life, but they're going to be nothing more than like repeating the Gettysburg Address or something. It's just, will have no real bearing. There'll be an empty religious ritual. It won't really be connecting with heaven. So let me ask you, do, can you call God honestly? Father, this morning, you can. You pray with me. And in that quiet room, just where you sit, just between you and God. You can come to him and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to perform. Thank you for dying for me, for my sin, for not being able to say, Father, that I might. And so I want to surrender my life to you now. I don't want to be running it anymore. I want to give it to you. 
Would you forgive me? And if something like that is the words of your heart, according to Scripture, that point from this point on, you've been adopted. He's your father based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe some of you are here and you truly have come to Christ, but you've been living your life as a border. And listen, I know that if you grew up in a home where he was just everyone, your mom and dad in that home were more concerned with your last name than your first name. You know, it just was a performance thing. Don't shame our name. You are a part of us, but you have to do A, B, or C. This is going to be harder for you. I know. I know. But you need to know that your God is more concerned with your first name. Relationship. And maybe right now you need to quit focusing on the guilt thing, either how you failed or how he didn't come through. Instead, just focus on his grace and say, oh God, my father, help me to think and live that way. And one one other thing, and this is homework I'm going to give us, we'll start right now, but it will be all this series. Would you do something with me? Would you Ask him, pray, and say, Lord, teach me to pray. If you would give that prayer daily, not just repeating words, but truly from your heart and mind, I'd be so excited to see what he would do in your life and my life between now and the time the series is done.